0: This is The Top Story, I'm Fei Fei. On the day to remember the victory of China's war against Japanese aggression, we decided to take you down memory lane and look at a relatively untold side of this war. The use of biological weapons by the Japanese army during the Second World War is widely known, but few can really tell its scope. For this, my colleague Liu Kun joins me in this episode. She's been following a group of volunteers in Lishui, a city in Zhejiang province, on their journey to collect evidence and help victims of Japan's biological warfare. Hello, Quinn. Hello, Fifi. Uh So you've been following this group of volunteers in Lishui. That's mm, um, right. And why did the team start what they're doing in the first place?
1: Well, uh, just to help you understand the whole picture, I'd have to start with uh, Zhuang Qijian first. He is uh, the person who established the society to, you know, to organize this whole effort. Um, Zhuang Qijian was born in 1947. He is a 76-year-old this year. And he graduated from high school in 1966. And he, he's a farmer in Lishui, Shui. Uh, which is a city that we're going to talk about during this whole podcast of Zhejiang, Eastern China's Zhejiang province. The reason or the background against which uh, he started this whole effort is because he, growing up, he accumulated the memory, a memory of uh, either from his families or from local people, of uh, the life that, uh, you know, Li people were having in the 1940s. Uh, when um, the Japanese army were in that area. Um, his grandma, from his dad's side, died from pestis in the 1940s. His mom ha- had a sister. She never mentioned it. The family didn't know until they were talking about a pestis during that time. His mom said that actually he had a sister, which died during that period. And also he told me, You know, there's a place, um, a corner in the village where the elderly would always gather to talk to each other, to catch up with each other. They constantly talk about the life back in the 1940s. Um, They said uh, the Japanese uh, released um, what they call poisonous gas. I mean, that's basically their way of saying germs um, to the area, to the village.
2: When I was young, old people in my village used to sit together by the road and chat. They sometimes talked about the bacterial warfare. They didn't know what bacteria means, so they said the Japanese released a poisonous gas that caused the plague. My parents also told me how my family suffered from the disease. Therefore, I have had the memory of the event since I was a kid.
1: So growing up, he he learned all these memories and he started uh, to bring
0: out his awareness, you know, on this issue. And at this stage, it was only a tale told by the elderly and passed down from generations. It didn't really link the diseases to the Japanese. Um, Until uh,
1: 1997, when he was invited to talk to a group of uh, Japanese people, a Japanese society, who were trying to do the same thing, to collect records. Uh, The Japanese team was in Lishui to investigate, to collect the records, and he talked to them. And he started to see, you know, we may need to do something seriously about this. And he started doing that. So he, in 2015... With the help of uh, uh, some uh, officials uh, in the Li Shui government, he started uh, an official society. The name of it is uh, Li Shui Research Society of Historical Records of Japanese Biological Warfare Victims. Mm. It's a long name. And he told me that uh, his efforts were actually received a lot of help from uh, people in Li Shui because he told me in 1990s when he started uh, doing this, uh, Li Shui local television reported about this story. And after that reporting, uh, one of these elderly people who were you know, suffering from the wounds of the bacterial warfare came to his out- house and showed him the wounds on his legs. Hmm. So that was a help that he, he knew that you know, people want to do this, people want to be heard on this issue.
2: There's one elderly person named Zhu Bini. He's the only survivor in his family of seven. He was also infected himself. He said at one point he passed out and then woke up among bodies at a quarantine hospital. Every time we visited him, he would show us old photos of his grandfather and father who died from infections.
0: You showed me photos of these wounds, and frankly, they're quite graphic. And I kind of appreciate that we are on a podcast talking about this issue right now because we don't have to show the photos. And so Zhuang started his conversation with his elders from here.
1: Yeah, but I want to I remind you that, you know, it's a, really a long time from the 1990s. So his, his research methods and his, the methods I used to collect all these records um, went from a very preliminary, let's put it that way, until later it went into digital. He showed me pictures of his uh, early records. The way he did it was basically with pen and paper. Mm. He, he wrote um, on papers, you know, on this day I interviewed this person, he told me what. Mm. But I, I'd say his methods were a little bit similar to what uh, historians these days use in recording oral history. Mm. Um, and in 2014, the uh, Municipal Archive of Li Shui decided that they want to help him. So camera was brought in and pictures and videos were started started to be recorded. Eventually he published a book. But that book, I mean, all these materials were in place already. But he told me it took him almost
0: five years to eventually publish the book. So with the book, it must have a lot of details about the diseases these elderly people got and how bad are these diseases. Let's start from the beginning, how they got the
1: disease. From what I was told, you know, these people go to farming, and sometimes they walk along the river, uh, the bank of the river. And back at the time, they didn't they didn't have adequate, uh, let's say, shoes or clothing. So uh, one day they just discovered that they're having this wound in, the, in parts of their body. Usually it's in either in the feet or their ankle or the calf. And that happened in 1940s. For some of these people, the disease just basically stayed with them for their lifetime. That's one thing. But eventually, um, it depends on different people if it is taken good care of. Sometimes they use herbs Mm -hmm. uh, to to cure. if it is taken care of, uh, they would just go on with their day as usual. But it's really serious. Uh, for people who can afford, they go to hospitals to see doctors. Sometimes uh, local hospitals would organize volunteer trips by doctors, and they would seek medical help from these uh, volunteer doctors. Uh, but talking about you know how it affects their life, I mean, for those who are, are seriously affected, it is certainly such a big misery because I was told one guy never wore socks or shoes in their lifetime.
2: Some said they hadn't worn shoes since they were children because of fested wounds on their feet. They weren't able to put on shoes. And this lasted for 70 to 80 years.
1: And... Sometimes they just couldn't go to the movies because, you know, they stink.
2: For example, they couldn't go to crowded places. They were concerned about the smell coming from them.
1: And for Chinese people, it's important to see families or visit relatives on um, important holidays like the Chinese New Year. They, never, they were never able to do that.
0: Because they stink.
1: They stink. They were ashamed of themselves. Ah. So the disease, like, affect them not only physically, but also psychologically.
0: Mm, as they keep talking to these elderly and discovering new wounds and new patients, how did they treat the patients? So basically
1: they started to do the investigation to collect the records and on the other hand decided to uh try to invite more doctors to come to the villages because they are scattered in the mill- villages in the mountainous area of li mm-hmm. and they they invited doctors to to see this uh, these patients and john Qijian even uh set up a more like a mechanism a channel to take these elderly people to Shanghai to well-known medical experts to in Shanghai so that uh, these doctors can perform a skin graft surgery on them basically it's it's like planting a different skin on
0: the wounded part of your body Mm, but Mm. that would be I imagine expensive
1: Yes, it is expensive. Uh, that's another thing that Zhang C Z and his team uh, did. Uh, they negotiated uh, with, uh, you know, with the hospital, sometimes with uh, with a special fund so that uh, these medical
0: fees can be taken care of. Hmm. Mm. And I'm also curious about the place of Lishui. Why is people in Lishui suffering this? Hmm. Lishui is important. First of all, Zhejiang
1: is actually in the eastern part of China, a little bit south of Shanghai. And Lishui is to the southwest of Zhejiang province. It has a lot of mountainous area. Mm. And Lishui was unique in the history of Zhejiang's fight against the Japanese aggression during the Second World War. Uh, by the end of uh, 1937, Hangzhou, the capital city, already fell into the capture of the Japanese. So the provincial government of Zhejiang had to move to Lishui, and Lishui became sort of the political, economic, and military center of Zhejiang province, and it even had a military base and air base. Mm. And Lishui was unique in another way because it is the place where a group of uh, American raiders land crash-landed, After a surprise raid against Tokyo in 1942, in April of 1942, um, 16 U.S. Army bombers uh, under the command of uh, pilot Lieutenant Colonel Jimmy Doolittle, they operated the Tokyo raid and also raid against uh, other key Japanese industrial cities in the surprise raid uh, that's designed to avenge their attack on Pearl Harbor. I mean, for these uh, 80 volunteer raiders, their mission was one way. And uh, later, they, after attacking Japan, they, most of these crew flew onto China, where low on fuel, they landed on the coast of uh, eastern China. And one of the places that they landed and also rescued by local people was Li Shui.
0: That's how, why Li Shui is unique in the history. So historically, mm-hmm. Li Shui naturally became the target of Japanese bombs, and mm. some of the bombs are biological weapons. But I'm 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 still a r- little curious mm-hmm. about the actual proof that it is really hard, right? yes. really brings us to to actually can link Japanese biological weapons with the wounds of the victims. Yes, like any efforts to try to record
1: history especially to, to prove that, uh, you know, this is evidence that we suffered during this, like people's effort to record uh, the aftermath of Holocaust or uh, the aftermath, of, I mean, the efforts in South Korea to record the aftermath of uh, the comfort women issue. It is hard. Mm. And in Japan, a Professor Yoshiaki Yoshimi he is known for his study on war crimes perpetrated by the Imperial Japanese Army and Japanese Navy. He has published his studies on the use of chemical weapons by the Japanese. It was actually him who found diaries of one officer in the Japanese Army in which, in the diary, Li Shui was mentioned mm-hmm. as one of the places where Japanese spread germs. That's that's already one strong evidence. Another thing is... Uh, there's a well-known case, uh, a litigation case uh, initiated by a group of uh, victims in in another city in Zhejiang Province. That is Yiwu, and that team was uh, led. The efforts were led by a woman named Wang Xuan. Uh, she led the efforts throughout the end of the 1990s till the early 2000s, uh, all the way to the Japan Japan Supreme Court. Eventually. Japan's Supreme Court uh, ruled that uh, the Japanese army did commit uh, biological warfare against Yiwu in Zhejiang province but it didn't rule, you know, for compensation for any of these victims. These are like the strong evidence that they are having on this issue. Hmm, mm. do they run into any obstacles along the way? The work of John Qijian and his team um, spans several decades, from the 1990s, and most of the people actually involved do it part time. Let let me just put it this way: this um, the process of me interviewing him and the doctors who help these elderly people are rather humbling experience for me. Um, for one thing, um, these people are in their 80s or 90s. They are spreaded in different villages uh, in Yishui sometimes it's just hard to talk to them to go to their place because they they couldn't go to you you go to them Mm. it's hard to to really to go to talk to them uh another thing is that um they need funding for this uh john told me that sometimes you just have to to you know to to pay out of your own pocket who is going to pay your transportation let's let's say you know from this village to the other one and also he's a farmer and he has families to take care of sometimes i mean the families understand this is the honorable cause but from time to time they have complaints and it's legitimate concerns right mm. um and another thing is that uh, he told me that sometimes they find he find it really hard to persuade the elderly or the families of the elderly to accept the medical help that he can provide for them. Mm. He told me that one night he received a phone call uh, at two a.m. in the morning, when uh, one member of the family of the elderly told him that they couldn't decide whether they can they will send the 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 patient to Shanghai to have the skin graft surgery because I mean the patient is already in his his eighties and nineties they just wonder whether it is worth it to. To go through the ordeal to travel from zhejiang to shanghai i mean it's not far but it's still a journey right Mm. and and that's really hard um so he he had to talk to to the guy on the phone and to persuade them that you know and eventually they they went and they were really happy you know that they had the surgery so that they can live pretty much in decency
0: Mm. Mm. so Zhuang qijian and his team has Mm. has a group of volunteers that can provide such medical help for mm. these victims and patients. Who exactly are they? Mm.
1: Well, it's it's actually not Zhang Qizhen and his team. It's rather uh, a group of doctors from Li Shui Central Hospital. Uh, they have a volunteer organization. They got in t- contact with Zhang Qizhen and told him, you know what, we can we can we can help these people. Uh, most of these uh, volunteers are, are doctors from Lishui Central Hospitals. Some of them actually work for the administration department of the hospital. So what would they do is that for about every month, they travel to the villages and to help with the wounds for these elderly people. Or sometimes when it's, there's an emergency uh, and the patients would call and they would take care of Uh, Also, they helped Zhang Qijian to contact the medical experts that I said earlier in Shanghai that performed uh, skin graft surgery Mm. for these people. Um, It actually, um, the the group of volunteers from the hospital got inspired, uh, and they see that the local community is becoming more like an aging society. And they started to take care of, uh, you know, these elderly people in the villages with or without the wound. And that's uh, Zhang Zijian told me, he was, uh, he was happy to see that, you know, this tradition, this volunteering tradition is being passed on.
0: Mm. Mm. And on what scale of victims or, or the elderly we're talking about?
1: Um, as, as we talked about earlier, uh, some of these people already passed away. I mean, roughly uh, the doctor, the volunteer, one volunteer doctor told me that uh, they have, uh, overall, they have taken care uh,
0: roughly about 80 people Mm. that's the scale of that Mm. well that's some really heavy stuff we just touched upon let's take a breather from here
2: sideline story brings you all things sports related the hottest topics latest events juiciest stories all with a very personal take Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world.
0: So Quinn, let's put the story into a little context here. Mm -hmm. What makes Zhang Jian and people like him? Why is it so difficult to prove that they are hurt by Japanese biological weapons?
1: it is difficult for them to prove that's one thing another thing it's already difficult to collect these uh, memories to collect the, these records because from one thing it is the government was not really involved so mm-hmm. you need a really strong organization a strong leader to, to push for the endeavor and another thing is that most of these victims are in their 80s or 90s some of them are you know, nearing the end of their lives it's mm-hmm. re- it's, sometimes it's just hard to talk to them And another thing is that historical background here is that various documents uh, released after the Second World War show that the Americans entered into some sort of a secret agreement with the Japanese that the records of these biological warfare will be hidden from the public. And I want to cite one example here because in 1981, an article published in the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists said the Americans entered an agreement with the Japanese, which included arguments in favor of granting immunity from war crimes persecution to the responsible Japanese officers so that America could make use. Of the results of these um, gruesome tests Mm. and that's uh, basically the historical background another thing is that i think people pay attention to the news would notice the issue of comfort women but then the litigation or the public pursuit of uh, of justice for these people are different for that for these uh, victims of biological weapons because um the public are much more aware of the comfort women issue mm. and but uh, as as we have been discussing the whole time uh, the victims of the biological weapons are
0: rather untold in the public discourse hmm mm. so maybe also that's why we are bringing you this podcast this time to mm-hmm. tell you about the, the yes. little untold side mm-hmm. of this war. And also you mentioned Li Shui is not the only place that's been bombed with Mine. biological weapons. Mm-hmm. It's not unique to Zhejiang. It's also not unique to China. So what is the bigger picture here in terms of people's efforts to preserve these part of untold history? Mm.
1: So earlier we talked about uh, the litigation of the Yiwu victims led by Wang Xuan. Another area in China uh, that's affected by biological warfare uh, by the Japanese is in China's northeastern province, Mm. the three provinces, uh, Heilongjiang, Liaoning, and Jilin. And uh, in that part of the country, usually local history museums, sometimes they would have a special section that's designated for historical records of uh, this issue and uh, sometimes it's more about you know the unit uh, 731 the special unit uh, of the Japanese army that conducted uh, bacterial warfare but most of all I think all these uh, records are in the memory of individuals or families Mm. of these of these uh, victims and I think that's as you said it's important to preserve and remember
2: Mm.
0: And uh, coming back to Zhuang Qijian and his team as well, that what is the purpose of them continuing their endeavor mm. right now? Mm. Zhuang Qijian told me that um,
1: for a lot of people involved in this and also for a lot of family members of these elderly people, one thing that they constantly mention when they talk to each other is that they want the elderly to live in decency. With the you know part with the world, and to it's it for collecting and writing down the memories of the records of that time is kind of like a closure or reconciliation of that painful memory, and uh, to help uh, to heal the wounds physically mm. or with the help that provided by the doctors is you know kind of uh, letting the elderly people part with the world in decency. I think that's personally for them. On a bigger scale, um, Zhuang Qijian told me that young people, not only in China, but also around the world, uh, need a perspective on history. And he said, in the end, it's not much about Japan anymore. It's about history itself. The purpose of uh, them doing this is to... To to let us remind ourselves from time to time that peace is really hard for us mm. and should be cherished every day, mm. and I think that's
0: that perfectly explains, you know, why they're doing this. So that things happened to these elderly will not happen to others in the future. Indeed. again. Thank you, Luquan. Thank you. The search for more evidence is still underway in China, Japan, and other countries. In August, a museum in Harbin released new evidence that further shows the scope of efforts the Japanese army put into biological warfare. The evidence includes a file of registration forms which is more than 200 pages with names, dates of birth and more information of over 400 members with a unit called 516. Unit 516 specialized on the study of chemical weapons and they worked closely with the notorious Unit 731. They provided Unit 731 with poison gas for experiments on living humans. Their chemical weapons were also widely used in battlefields and also on civilians in China during the Second World War. Some of these weapons were destroyed when the Japanese army retreated from China and others were dumped in rivers or buried underground. Local communities are still facing threats from these buried weapons 80 years after they were developed. And that's it for this episode of The Top Story. For more episodes of the show, you can go to our website at radio.cgtn.com or you can search the name The Top Story on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any platform that you listen.